1: Hello, my name is Michael Johnston, and this is an episode on New Books in Sociology, a channel on New Books Network. Today, I have Dr. Stephen Ortiz, an associate professor of sociology at Oregon State University. Thank you for joining me today, Steve.
2: Well, it's great to be with you.
1: So, so Steve, could you tell me a little bit about about yourself?
2: Well, I've uh, been at Oregon State University since 2000 where I teach courses in social psychology, sports, collective behavior, and intimate relationships. And from time to time, a course called Sociology of the Sport Marriage.
1: Excellent. Uh, And uh, the book that we're discussing today is The Sport Marriage, Women Who Make It Work, a book published by University Illinois Press. Could you tell me a little bit how you came to write this book?
2: Well, during my initial investigation of my interest in family sociology and sports sociology and professional athletes, I noticed that there was a knowledge gap regarding the wives and families of professional athletes. And um, I was really surprised at the lack of knowledge about the heteronormative sport marriage, um, especially given the widespread popularity of professional athletes in sports. So I decided that here was a story that needed to be told.
1: So um, as I was reading through uh, your book, I noticed that there was a bit of a difference between the experience that a wife would have if she were married to a rookie uh, or to a veteran. How did those, how did those experience differentiate from one another?
2: Well, it's, it's interesting because both rookies and veterans are um, reflect uh, the kind of marriage that they're in, that the kind of marriage that they're in is an equalizer to an extent. So for example, in my first study, I came across bits and pieces of information that I put together and called the career dominated marriage. And in a career dominated marriage, a husband and his career come first and his wife and family are subordinate to both, whether or not the wife has a job or career of her own. So in this kind of marriage, they become aware of an unwritten rule book and what's in it. So this unwritten rule book is about learning the do's and don'ts of being married to a professional athlete. For example, in chapter two, It's avoiding doing anything in public life that would reflect negatively on the husband or his team. In chapter three, I describe different rules that the wives must follow while traveling with their husbands and teens. I refer to this as a code of conduct. In chapter six, I talk about groupies and the rules that the wives have to follow when dealing with groupies in public life. So, this type of marriage is often embedded in other male-dominated occupations besides professional sport. So this would include law enforcement, politics, entertainment, medicine, religion, military, and so on and so forth. In male-dominated occupations, most women are relegated to subordinate status, whether they are wives unmarried female partners or co-workers, and in certain cases, because of this workaholic approach that he takes, this arrangement might result in the husband's neglect of his marriage and family as he builds and focuses only on his career. So the husband who would take advantage of this career-dominated situation is the spoiled athlete. The player with the spoiled athlete syndrome, as I call it, learns to control others by influencing or pressuring or manipulating them to accept his needs or wishes. Other characteristics include, for example, he may have a deep sense of male entitlement, um, a strong perception of occupational power, a lack of accountability for inappropriate off-the-field activities, and a diminished sense of responsibility for marital and family functioning. The spoiled athlete believes that the world revolves around him. So there's some narcissism involved. If he's famous, the spoiled athlete will embrace his celebrity status and most likely will try to use it to his advantage or to take advantage of others. And finally, mood changes, emotional outbursts, Rash judgment, emotional or verbal abuse, acts of hostility, and even violent behavior are common among those who have this syndrome. So I examined the career-dominated marriage, the spoiled athlete syndrome, and many other issues in a longitudinal study, a second follow-up study that I did. I found the existence of a career-dominated marriage in six major themes, which are The six chapters in the book, they include public life, traveling with the husband and his team, power and control issues, mother-in-law issues, groupies, and infidelities. I discovered that the sport marriage still flourishes as a career-dominated marriage, and all six chapters are evidence of this.
1: And uh, you talk, you write a little bit about uh, the wife's experience with her social circles uh, as part of uh, as part of the larger professional family. How does this uh, uh, how does this fall into the equation in terms of their relationship with other sports wives, whether they be married to the professional athlete or uh, they be a girlfriend of that athlete? Social
2: circles Serve
1: as a way of
2: connecting with each other. It's who they hang out with. It's all about their friendships. So the wife feels accepted by other wives in her social circle. And it's in circles, in these social circles, that wives support one another. They share stressors, pressures, and setbacks in the husband's career. And so they feel from time to time that outsiders can't relate to them and they have trouble relating to outsiders who know nothing about their husband's careers. So she tends to have more in common with certain wives than others. For example, she might be a member of um, a Bible study group. Uh, They might be going through pregnancy together. Um, They have a shared interest in certain activities. So, You have the wives as members of the social circle, but to answer your question, the girlfriends are part of it and they're not part of it. Um, The girlfriends are rated by the wives according to the type of relationship they have with the players. They range from the revolving door girlfriend, the steady girlfriend, the cohabitating girlfriend, and the fiancee. So the first three come and go, and they could never count on seeing a wife who was a steady girlfriend, um, a steady girlfriend, or, you know, cohabitating girlfriend or revolving door girlfriend. They can't see these girlfriends as anything to have to do with with them. So the fiancé is closer to becoming one of them, and so she is more acceptable than the other three
1: girlfriends. In this, ex- uh, in this girlfriend experience, is there, um, is there an experience that changes as they, uh, as a relationship starts to uh, grow between the the two, uh, between the professional athlete uh, and her, or, uh, or is the girlfriend never able to be fully established into the, uh, into the larger social circle of professional athlete and the wives? That's a good question. Um,
2: the revolving door girlfriend, the steady girlfriend, and the cohabitating girlfriend are, um, shall we say, non-existent. They only accept them if the professional athlete accepts them and brings them to different functions, team functions, social functions. They, But they will still keep a distance. They won't embrace them because they don't know how long they're going to be around. Um, the fiance has a better shot at being accepted outright because she is going to be one of them eventually. So she may be more acceptable.
1: And there's also something to say about the professional athlete, if I recall, about whether or not the wife is accepted, depending on whether the athlete is a rookie uh, or a uh Full time professional athlete who has experience in the league. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Um, I found that rookie wives, um, well, let's say the rookie players don't have much social or cultural capital because they haven't proven themselves. So their status is limited, it's tenuous, and it tends to be very low. And their wives share this status. Nobody really knows how long they're going to be around. Or if they're going to be around at all, generally they'll know after the first season and um, whether or not he's on the team and he's one of them, which means his wife is one of them, or whether he's gone
1: altogether. And what are some of the unwritten rules then that the that the rookies' wives have that uh, as part of this waiting period as they um, as they figure out whether or not. That person is going. That player is going to be a um, a good fit for that that team.
2: Well, um, for the rookie players, it's know your place. They have to know their place, and their place is conveyed in the locker room uh, during practice, team functions, and in other ways where they interact with each other. For the wives, it's also knowing your place. And this happens through bridal showers, baby showers, at-home games they sit together, and so on. So the message is very clear. Um, Don't do anything to rock the boat. Just bide your time. And if your husband is acceptable and he makes the team, then you will be too.
1: Now, this doesn't completely relieve the veteran player, nor does it relieve the veteran player's wife, of uh, challenges of their own. Yeah. So what are some of the challenges that wives of veteran players experience as well as the experience that veteran players are having being in the league for uh, many years?
2: Well, the starting point has to do with the career-dominated marriage. It's the career-dominated model that is at the center of the marriage. And the wives find that they have to be strong and resilient to make it work. but. This strength and resolve sometimes isn't enough. In trying to support this type of marriage, it leaves the wife feeling empty and unfulfilled, especially if she has to give up an aspiration that means a lot to her in favor of his career. For example, in the introduction, I talk about Dana's attempt to take her own life because she had to give up everything that she valued. And she thought it would come back to her. It was just a temporary thing. But after a number of years into the marriage, she realized that she's always going to be a baseball wife, and that's pretty much going to be it. So she saw no alternative to her situation and uh, tried to take her life. But there are other challenges that the wives have to cope with, and the stressors in the husband's career and in their marriage, and these would include, for example, geographic mobility and instability, um, seasonal separations, occupational injuries, um, rupees, infidelities, public life, traveling on the road with her husband, and power and control issues in the marriage. Um, there's a story uh, about Amanda where she had an eating disorder. And uh, was uh, she found out later it's bulimia. And she had this at a relatively young age. And she dealt with it the best way possible. It progressed from laxatives to binging, purging. And she thought her husband-to-be they met in college, he played college football, that he would be sensitive to her issue. And when he found out, he discovered her late at night when she was 80, um, unbeknownst to him and gordian uh, herself. And he discovered her at night, in the middle of the night. And so he wanted to know what was going on. And so she told him. And he seemed to be supportive and sensitive and, um, and said, yes, I understand. Uh, okay. And then when they went out and were around people and um, he would make fun of her. He, he would say she's got the eating disorder that ends all eating disorders. And, and, and he just made a joke out of it. And she found out that he wasn't very supportive and he wasn't sensitive. Um, and this was something that she had to deal with if she was going to stay with him is to be the butt of his jokes. Um, so, yeah.
1: You you write a little bit about how some of the women were would remain em, remain employed, but it was uh, it was difficult for them because even after, even if they have their own career, their husband's career still served as primary. Uh, and then other issues that uh, uh, that came up were uh, were with childcare and the necessity for the the mother to be a full time mom while being a full time wife. Could you talk a little bit more about those challenges? Well, yeah. The um,
2: career-dominated model is one way of looking at it. But um, the two-person career that I've used uh, by another sociologist gets at the idea that the wife provides support in various ways. She provides support um, without recognition of what she does for his career. She um, provides economic, um, the fact that she doesn't have to go out and work so she can do everything in the home. That gets at what you were saying. Um, it's, It's a way of supporting his career. So in a way, she's in service to his career. And she does this without taking pay or any recognition, formal recognition. So... It's a, a situation where she feels that her main duty is her family, but supporting his career is part of that responsibility. So she will give him rub downs after games. She will time his, his wind sprints during the off-season. She will make his favorite uh, dishes and meals but that are healthy. Um, she oversees his rehabbing if he's injured seriously. Um, there was a wife who uh, her husband had a hip injury, he played football, and she um, said, here's a little bell and just ring it whenever you need me. And um, <laughs> so he was OK for a few days, but boy, he gave in to the urge because he kept ringing that bell incessantly. And she said, well, I'm going to take it away from you. Um, I'm tired of you ringing this dang bell and you're driving me crazy and on and on and on. So um, he got the message. Um, They do everything they can to make sure that he plays well, that he has a successful career. But um, what's interesting about it is that I found that a wife will expect him to be good at what he does, to have career success. It's an expectation that she values. She's saying, look, I'm doing all this for you. I'm making it possible for you to be out on the field. I take care of all your needs and that's fine. I accept that responsibility, but you on the other hand have to be a success. You have to make it worth my while. So, Doing this for him validates her sense of self-esteem. It makes her feel good about herself. But she feels even better if he's successful in his career. Then it's a validation of what she does for him.
1: And then the overall experience, even after the career is over, with really depends on whether that whether that athlete continues their career in a highly competitive in a highly competitive market. Uh, What what influence? So maybe it's less about sport, but maybe more about competition. Did did you find that uh, as being a major influence in how the marriage uh, is how it exists?
2: Well, um, there is a term that I use, um, that I call the internalized we partnership. And the wife does all of this marital labor, um, we'll call it. And she, um, internalizes, she feels good about what she's doing as long as he's successful now. Part of this internalized we partnership is a vicarious identification with his success. She feels good about herself if he if he has a good game, if he gets him into the World Series. Um, it comes back to her. Oh, you must feel so proud of him. Um, the owner might say, uh, "You girls are doing a good job at home. Keep it up." Um, so there's that going on, and. There's another thing that I refer to as teamwork, a marital teamwork. So the wife sees what she does for her husband as a kind of teamwork. She does her share of the work. He does his share of the work, which is to be successful. So she, um, this teamwork, though, backfires, will often backfire because he will take advantage of it. And she begins to realize that she was doing more of the giving and he's doing more of the taking and she gives and gives and gives and he keeps taking and taking and
1: taking. Yes, that may, that makes sense. And outside of the marriage, there is also a, a brotherhood that exists among the, among the players. And uh, this brotherhood that exists, how, how is that institutionalized within professional sports? Is, is that relationship also a, a, a key part of, of being an athlete uh, at the professional level?
2: Well, yeah. Um, I think uh, going back to the other question, um, you were referring to retirement. Does this pattern, the career-dominated pattern, does this stand up over time? Um I would say yes. Um, I just finished an article where I write about uh, the retirement issues. And this career-dominated marriage can continue to exist if he finds a job, a career, that sustains a career-dominated model, like um, law enforcement or firefighters, where the marriage continues to be important but not to the extent that his career is his new career second or third career um most of the baseball wives um i found out in the second study their husbands went into coaching right into coaching so they have that competitive thing going on and um the wives feel that uh, they had no idea they would go on that their husbands would go on to coach and so they throw up their hands and say, well, here we go again, you know? Um, So it tends to define what they do as work, um, not only in retirement, but um, as a second career, um, it continues well into the later years. Um, The brotherhood. Um, Sport organizations isolate players um, from the public and they strictly control the men's schedules and activities and encourage them to strongly bond with each other. So certain patterns become embedded, which distinguish them as um, a special group of men who have a strong sense of superiority and that they are separate from non-athletes. This brotherhood um, emphasizes strong support It emphasizes mutual respect. It emphasizes feelings of solidarity. And it emphasizes an inherent loyalty. And um, among this brotherhood of teammates, they are governed by certain team rules. And uh, these team rules support and enforce group boundaries and exclude most outsiders. So teammates in collectively managing boundaries of their solidarity and their loyalty to each other. Um, Well, they are led to exclude women as part of this brotherhood, Um, women such as wives um, from various areas of their occupations. So the women um, are finding that They are privy to certain information about the players, and they don't want this kind of information. Um, So it works both ways. Um, They guard clubhouse and locker room secrets. Um, The men and this brotherhood protect sexual privilege with male groupies, with female groupies, and with other interested women. And um, so it's an interesting story. I call it team spirit night. Um, every Thursday night during the season, they have a team spirit night. And um, this is where the team rules are enforced. And <laughs> the wives are aware of what's going on. Um, because basically what's going on is they, the team meets at different clubs or rest, or, or uh, bars and they meet other women at these bars or clubs and so um the wives aren't allowed to go on these excursions it's just the men and it's where they hook up with some of the women that they meet so on this one team spirit night team spirit night this rookie brought his wife to one of the bars and the men didn't know what to make of it. They were surprised that he would have brought his wife. And so they carried on like uh, they normally would without women around. And he got the hint that uh, she shouldn't be there. So he left early that evening. And the very next day, he had a sign on his locker saying, you owe us $600 for uh, this rule infraction. Um, And So he was caught off guard, and he didn't realize that they were, well, that the rules were that important, and he found out that they were. Um, So how do the wives feel about this brotherhood? Um, They don't like it. Um, Many wives feel that they are in direct competition with the brotherhood. Um, They feel that they spend too much time together. Um, they've already spent a lot of time together, time that could be spent with their families.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: And uh, there's also a culture of infidelity that exists with uh, with this brotherhood. I think one of the stories uh, that you told uh, in the book was about uh, the slump buster and the role that that plays in uh, Major League Baseball, uh, but I'm sure that the slump buster also exists in other sports. Could you talk more about uh, about the slump buster, but also about infidelity um, at large in professional sports? Okay. Um, the um, the
2: code work that these wives engage in, or this code of conduct, um, there is a set of rules that are stipulated by the husbands as part of, by the players, really in general, that they're supposed to follow. That if wives travel with the team, um, they have to follow these rules. And um, so the rules revolve around what you see on the road is what you don't repeat when you off the road. And the wives, um, follow the rules, uh, for example, um, where they're supposed to sit on the plane or the bus, they sit at the front where the men sit at the back. Um, But probably the most irritating rule for the wives is about um, going into the hotel bars. And the hotel bars are um, off limits to the wives. And I thought, well, when I was first told this, I thought, well, that's where the men hang out and they do some male bonding and they talk about the finer points of the game and uh, the wives would interrupt me and say, oh, no, 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 that's, that's not what they're doing. That's where they meet their girlfriends or their women on the road or call girls or groupies and they don't want their wives to see that they're interacting with these women. So the hotel bar, where the team stays, right, is off limits. So the wives told me how they would get off the elevator, come down to the street level, and avert, look away from the hotel bar and look straight at getting outside. And um, they, the worst thing you could do is walk in there and, and hang out. So that's one of the rules now. A code buster is somebody who violates the rules knowingly. He does this because he can. When he, uh, for example, there was one famous, famous baseball player. Ball player and uh, he said, uh, what are you girls doing out here? And he said, uh, well, we are not supposed to go in uh, the bar area. And he said, follow me. Come with me. Uh, I, I, this is ridiculous rule. So he walks in there, and he takes them in there, and and uh, they're seated, and they order their drinks, and the men are looking at him. But he could get away with it because he was famous, and he was a star on the team. And the wives kept looking over their shoulders. They were saying things like, oh, we shouldn't be here, uh, this is not cool. Um, and, and they were They were uneasy the whole time. But he you know, said, uh, "You know, have a seat. And do what you want to do, and uh, nobody will bother you.
1: And the the uh, infidelity uh, was quite interesting. Interesting in terms of what what you found. Uh, one of the uh, one of the women uh, you wrote about was uh, on her way up the elevator with her husband, and uh, was approached by one of the other groupies. And uh, and in that experience. They, uh, the groupie, thought that uh, she was just another one of them. That being said, what's this this virgin prostitute syndrome that the that the wives are expected to uh, to play in their marriage?
2: Well, um, let's go back. Um, the example that you gave is um, it's it's close, but it's not quite accurate. Um, And this goes back to the do's and don'ts of traveling on the road. So this wife, after the game, this wife was um, going back to to her hotel. And so she was taking the elevator to go up to her hotel room. And when the doors opened, there was a player and a woman who was not his wife. So she didn't know whether to get on the elevator or step back and let it go without her so she said uh, so she thought to herself well this is dumb this is ridiculous so she got on the elevator <laughs> but she looked away from the couple so he was um, she was uh, you know looking at the corner of the, uh, at the top of the elevator uh, just trying to disappear in a way and um, so she got off at her floor and she went to her room well the next day the um, The husband was um, confronted by this player, and he wanted to know if he was going to keep his, if his wife was going to keep her mouth shut. So um, one of the rules on the road is when you witness uh, inappropriate behavior, or what I call forbidden behavior, like the elevator story, um, they're supposed to keep quiet about it. And one wife, I'll never forget, she... Had enough of it," she said. Uh, she took him up to the room and she started yelling at him. "This is ridiculous. I don't want to be a part of this." And so he told her, "You know, this is something that you know she has to do if he if she has any value for his career." Um, so the culture of adultery, um, culture of infidelity the it's um, it's a persistent the persistent presence of these women. Um, these female groupies and other sexually available women who um, converge to set the stage for players to be guided by and to participate in a culture that perpetuates and normalizes marital infidelity. This culture um, would not exist um, if the institutionalized brotherhood that didn't sanction teammates who individually or collectively take advantage of sexual opportunities for women. So according to the wives, the culture of infidelity exists because of the assertive actions of women. They also maintain that the players share the blame because they condone and encourage the presence of these women. So in this culture, most women are considered partners to unfaithful husbands. Um, they are considered prospective partners to unfaithful, hus- unfaithful husbands because of the way that male infidelity has become so institutionalized. Um, for example, um, Emma <clears throat> was a, uh, after a game, she uh, her husband played baseball, and after a game, she was um, asked by her husband to go out to meet uh, another player on the team. So she was delighted because she assumed that the other player was going to bring his wife, and she knew this man and she knew his wife. So she said, uh, so she assumed that was going to be the case and she looked forward to it and after the game she was all dressed up and everything and they were going to go out and so they went over to a high-end restaurant and were um seated and here comes the other friend his friend and he's bringing along the woman who is not his wife and she emma just blew it um She said, I'll be darned if I'm going to sit here through dinner and act friendly toward this woman. And, you know, what do I do? Do I tell the wife what her husband's doing? You know, she was all in turmoil with conflicted feelings about the situation. And her husband looked at her like, you know, just go along with it. She's just, it's just a friendly thing. And um, no problem, no problem. So this buddy system, as I call it, um, is part of being uh, in this brotherhood and it is extended to include um, husbands who are unfaithful and is part of this uh, culture of adultery. So how does this come about when we talk about the motherization of the wife and the virgin prostitute syndrome? Well, let's talk about the motherization of the wife first. Um, First of all, the wife is relegated to the role of mother in their relationship. Motherization begins early in the relationship before the couple even marries. And um, he becomes dependent on her, uh, which would be his fiancee, to take care of many domestic and occupational details. Now, this is a prelude to marriage, and uh, how well she's able to accomplish these things is something that he would take note of. The wife, later on, happily fulfills this role in the beginning of the marriage, but can feel trapped by it later on. Um, motherization secures a husband's power in the sport marriage because, in this role, she is subordinate to him. Many wives are fairly comfortable in this maternal role, and this may be rooted in their early childhood experiences, or they simply find it's easier to be a mother to their husbands because it avoids unnecessary conflict and arguing and fighting, and helps to preserve stability in the marriage by providing some aspect of continuity in their seasonal lives. So why fight it? Um, This is especially true when the husband is on the road most of the time. Motherization limits a wife's ability to relate to her husband as a whole person. So the player's wife acts as a mother to her husband when he needs emotional or esteem support or when he suffers a crucial setback in his career, such as um, when he's unexpectedly traded to another team or he loses his position in the starting lineup or he experiences a serious career-threatening injury. Most wives will support their husbands in these and other occupational situations, regardless of whether they have been motherized. But the motherized wife slips into this role because it has already been defined and realized as an essential aspect of the marriage, and because she believes, above all else, that it benefits his career and their marriage. Now, what's interesting is that what the wife told me is that the husband will look for this quality in a woman and realizes that he can marry almost any woman who is attracted to a professional athlete. But the woman he marries will have this quality, and this is a quality that he is actively looking for. Once this pattern is established in the marriage, woman's deference to her husband and his career can become habit-forming and it plays a very important part in the husband's dependency on his wife now do the wives do this to themselves no a the husband see them this way do the wives go along with it because it's better than trying to fight it Um What is the Burton Prostitute Syndrome? Okay. um, According to the wives, these men tend to make a very sharp distinction between sex and love. Or they emphasize sex in their expressions of love. An attitude that can indicate a good girl, bad girl duality in their notions of femininity. The good girl is passive. She's conservative. She's a pedestaled virgin. She is loved and protected, and above all else, she is desexualized. The bad girl is the mysterious seductress. She is objectified, targeted for promiscuity, possibly feared, and sexualized or hypersexualized. I refer to this attitude. As the virgin prostitute syndrome, and see it as another pattern in the motherization of the wife. A player who expresses the virgin prostitute syndrome believes that his role is to be protector and sole provider for his wife and family. He expects his wife to act in ways that make her worthy of his protection that make her worthy of financial security, to make her worthy of material comfort. He views his wife as the good girl, and in certain situations he may attempt to virginize her by de-emphasizing sex in their marriage. As an outlet for sexual energy he must withhold from his wife, he seeks out the bad girl, such as an eager female groupie. A player who motherizes his wife might make a sharp distinction between the wife who is at home caring for the children, on the one hand, and the other hand, all other women, which would include female groupies and sex workers who are sexually available. Now this attitude points to the belief that motherhood and sexual, female sexuality is essentially different and perhaps even, even incompatible. A husband may not always be comfortable with his wife's sexuality, and so he attempts to desexualize her. The women told me that expressions of the syndrome are more noticeable when their husbands have been on the road for a long time. When a player returns home from a long road trip and his wife is delighted to see him, she may attempt to initiate a romantic encounter or sexual interaction. If he has motherized her, he may become confused and discourage or refuse her advances. He may say that he's too tired, that he's uh, it's been a very long road trip, that uh, instead he would prefer to relax and have a good home-cooked meal. Um, Rhonda had uh, an experience with her husband that underlines this duality. She um, told him that uh, they were going to have friends, uh, they were going to have dinner with friends at a uh, high-end hotel. And... um, So she uh, got a babysitter for the children and uh, they went off to uh, have dinner and she um, had uh, they were waiting for their friends to show up and they never did. So they went ahead and had dinner and uh, midway through dinner, she uh, excused herself and uh, she went and met with the hotel staff and she said, give him this note and uh, this card, this key card. And, uh, you know, about 15 minutes after I, you know, go up there. So she took off and went up to the suite and um, the uh, one of the people there, staff, uh, came over and gave him, gave him this message. And uh, (laughs) he said, well, what the heck? What's going on? You know, why meet her in a room? Um, So he goes, oh, well, uh, OK, I'll go. So he went up there and he didn't know what was going on. And so she um well he opened the door and he saw her in um negligee lingerie uh, the lights were dimmed um, there was soft music on and she was trying to grow to arrange for a romantic rendezvous um, because at that point in her marriage um, romance was gone you know and and she had to plan on it she had to work on it and schedule it and so here he stood in front of her, and he said, oh, my God. And he said, what the heck are you doing? And he got mad. He got so angry, he turned around, and he walked down. And she let him have it when they were at home later on. And she, she told him, you're never, you're, never, uh, you can't, uh, you're never romantic. We don't have romantic evenings. We don't have date nights. Um, we don't have anything. The romance is gone. And I try to inject a little bit of romance. And all I get for my trouble is I'm scolded, I'm yelled at, and um, I'm angry at you for this. Um, So the question, um, is it possible for a wife to play a combination of a good girl and bad girl? Yes, it is. But it depends on the situation
1: there might be some role boundaries that have been created as a re, uh, as a result of uh the unwritten rules uh of a of a of an athlete and the expectation that he holds of his wife playing the mother role that that could result in uh in some of these uh conflicts that are that are occurring uh with the players and their wives throughout this book
2: well in this case um in ron's case. Um she wanted him to be to be more romantic, but how do you? How can you be romantic with your mother?
1: It makes it difficult to uh, to to uphold both roles.
2: Well, this is why in most cases um, the men aren't uh, are limited in terms of romance, and um, they don't make the effort to show their wife how much they feel for them, how much they love them, and. This, again, gets back to the idea that here I sacrifice for him. I support him. I do everything I can for him. And the least he can do is be romantic, if not have career success as the, as the end result. So at least he can be romantic with me when I want to and, and have some romance. And he can't even do that. So um, what?
1: Uh, what are some takeaways what uh, uh where do you, where do you see this this research uh continuing in its trajectory i um uh, it was a lot to take in uh definitely it was uh an interesting study and and uh I, yeah i guess what do you see for the for the future of this research and and where it's going next
2: well um i wanted to add something first if i may
1: okay yeah
2: um, I may have stereotyped these women, these women initially. But I was so surprised. I found these women to be strong, resilient, intelligent, and devoted. And they see so many things in their marriage as normal. the stressors, the pressures, the demands, the setbacks. They see these as normal, and they have normalized what many would consider to be abnormal marriages, so they don't know anything differently than these particular ways that they have of normalizing what many think is quite strange and bizarre. Um, That's why they don't reach out. To people, Um, they stay within themselves because people will only criticize them and say, "Well, I wish my husband was making three million, four million a year. Um, I wish that you have it so good—you can belong to country clubs, you can have nannies for your children, you can send your children to the best schools. I wish I was you." You know, Um, so don't say anything that would be critical about your marriage because uh, anybody would be happy to step in. Um, now, uh, okay, so I have a paper that's been accepted for publication by the Sociology of Sport Journal, and it's um, Women Caring for Retired Men, uh, Continuation of Inequality in the Smart Marriage. Um, to answer your question, I've started work on a second book, a sequel, and it's going to cover geographic mobility, um, different kinds of stressors, seasonal separations occupational injuries and retirement issues and that's going to keep
1: me busy <laughs> yes always always more work to do and uh this this book is is excellent and it's going to i i hope for it to have a great impact in in society I, you're disseminating this information i i, I think as a in hopes that uh, people will learn something from it, but also be able to uh, possibly pl- apply it into practice, uh, everything from uh, diversity issues to having managers and, or part of the corporate office, having people there to uh, to help the players work through marital issues that might be taking place. Can I, can I say
2: something? Um, yes. The uh, conclusion of the book has advice for yes. women, Considering marriage to a professional athlete, and I have, I got most of this from the second book, uh, the second study that I did, and it's pretty detailed. So any wife thinking, any woman thinking about marrying a professional athlete, if nothing else, if they go to the conclusion, they'll get uh, a real good, realistic uh, viewpoint of what it's like
1: to be married to an athlete. This second book, or this uh, this book project that you're working on now with retirement, uh, that's that's probably moving a little bit away from, uh, marital issues and more towards, uh, players and what to expect after the game. Is that correct?
2: Yes. I found that, um, multiple concussions, CTE is a major issue. And the wives talked about that. They talked about depression, um, and how devastating depression is and how it uh, affects their moods, their mood swings. Um, the, uh, So the physical injuries, the mental, emotional injuries, so to speak, um, and the the wives aren't prepared for it. Um, I liken it to a woman in her 20s, and she doesn't know what lies ahead if she is able to sustain this marriage. And after his career is over, they are the primary caregivers. They have to provide care work to their husbands because even though they were used to it during his career, um, in retirement is uh, difficult because they are deteriorating uh, in terms of their bodies and minds. And these brittle bodies and broken minds, um, the wives have no idea of how to care for them. So uh, they're considering institutionalization, um, and they hate to do that because they've been married for 20, 25 years, and uh, he's not the same man
1: that she married. Well, thank you for the sneak peek on this upcoming uh, project, and I look forward to to, uh, reading it once it's uh, been published and uh, possibly having you back on the show for, uh, for another episode. Well, thank
2: you very much for the opportunity to discuss my book.
1: Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of New Books and Sociology. Again, it's the channel on the New Books Network, and uh, have a great day.